This morning we're going to turn again to the book of Joshua, chapter 3 and 4. This is really one story, even though our Bibles divide it into two sections in Joshua 3 and 4. And so let's uh, listen to this, and uh, if you if uh, you can feel free to follow along in your own Bibles or online, the text is Joshua 3 and 4, and it might help you as we follow along with the sermon as well. So let's listen to God's holy inspired word. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days... The officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from the right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? 
Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. Just as Moses had directed Joshua, the people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their foot on dry ground Then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Our great God and Father in heaven, we thank you, O Lord, that you have spoken to us in a way that meets us where we are, that that encourages us in the variety of our situations in which we live, that calls us to seek after you, our true source of hope and life. And we thank you, O Lord, that you inspired these words by your spirit. And we pray, O Lord, that you would continue by your spirit to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, that we would look unto you and your presence with us. And that we would find in it the hope and encouragement we need as we enter into territories where we have not been before. And so, Lord, we need your help. We need your light. Shine it upon us in our hearts of each one today. Bless those who are watching online. Speak to them as well. And we thank you, O Lord, that uh, we can gather here today. And we ask your, that your presence with us, that we might experience it in power and in truth and light. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> As I was researching this sermon, I saw that uh, several people had highlighted the the phrase, you have not gone this way before. You have not gone this way before. And so I started thinking about that. And what I realized is that 
it, I can see why they chose that, because we all come to those places that are totally new for us. It's a new situation. Sometimes it may be that uh, we're actually literally in a new place we haven't been before. We may have moved to a new city. It may be this one. And we don't know people. We don't know what it's like. We don't really understand what it's going to be like to live here. Or maybe you're here for the summer. I'm glad to have uh, some, many of our friends come and join us today to be here for the summer. And you may have never been to the United States before. You may have never been to this area before. And you're entering into new territory. And you may be asking, you know, what am I going to do this summer? What is, what is, how do I live here? What, how do I enjoy life? And how do I seek the Lord here? And you may be asking these types of questions. Um, sometimes it's this, the new world is the same place that we've always been, but something changes. Like in the case of uh, Kathy Keller, she's lost her husband, Tim, and I know she's really struggling. It's a whole new world for her. Everything is going to be different. We've had some changes within our church and in a way it's a, it's new territory and we don't know exactly how, uh, that will manifest itself, but just one way, I remember um, I was traveling to Nashville a few weeks ago, and we stopped at, my daughter and I stopped at Bucky's, which normally is a happy time for me because I love their sandwiches and their homemade chips. But what I remembered is that, um, that uh, the last time I had been to Bucky's was after I returned from Spain on our mission trip, and the changes in our church had, that have happened have now meant that some of those that went on that trip are no longer with us. And it was like, this is a new experience. It's like a new world. It's new territory. There's people that, are, that were with me that are no longer with me. The situation has changed. <clears throat> and so, what are we to do when we enter into new territory, into new places that we haven't been before? And this becomes particularly acute particularly difficult when we enter into those new places and we find that things are really hard. There's some sort of obstacle that we thought, oh, this is going to be great. A lot of people move here thinking, hey, it's just going to be like vacation all the time. Then it's like you actually have to live here. And you see, there's problems. It's not vacation all the time. You may see like, oh, it's great to go to the United States. I'm going to, to, to have new experiences. But then you find yourself working 80 hours a week. And, you're, and the place you're staying isn't that great. And you don't like your roommate. And now it's like, what does it mean to live here? Well, this is what happened to the Israelites. They came to a place. They were to enter into this land that God had told them he would give them. But then the way is blocked completely. They can't enter with, their, with their, all their goods and children and animals. Because the Jordan, the river that is along the border of the land of Canaan, is now at flood stage, and they are, it is impassable. So what are they going to do? So that's what I want us to think about, and I hope that it will help us to see what we can do when we enter into a place that we have not gone before. So I really want to talk about three things in this passage. The ark, the baptism, and the memorial. Let's talk about first the ark. Because we're not going to follow the story. I'm going to try to look at it more topically and draw the points that are being brought out here. So they were about to enter the land. 
They could see the land, but they saw the Jordan River in front of them at flood stage. It would be very difficult for them to cross. And you can see that the Jordan is sort of a symbol of everything. That as they enter this land, they're entering into a land that other people live in that are much more powerful than they were. So the question is, how are they going to be able to take this land when they don't have the ability to do it? How are they going to be able to get in there when they can't cross the Jordan? How can they tear down the walls? They don't have any weapons with which to do that. How are they going to defeat these these nations that will come against them with iron chariots, the equivalent of tanks in that day? How are they going to do it? It would have been easy for them to look at the nations, the people, and the problems, and simply to give up. And what they might not see was that though there were many difficulties in front of them, yet above all those difficulties was the presence of God. And that God was greater than all the problems and all the nations and all the enemies that they would face. He was greater than creation. He was greater than the Jordan. And he could overcome it. Now, God gave them a gift in order to help them remember that the the presence of God was with them. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. And what it was is really a box. And it's, you can actually see remnants of things like that throughout the Middle East it was, and, uh, and Northern Africa that they were actually often used as a symbol of the presence of the gods. And so Israel had their own box. And they had in that box the law that God gave, the Ten Commandments, and the jar of manna and the rod of Aaron, symbolizing the great works of God. And on the ark was, were two angels, or cherubim. And then, besides that, there was nothing else. In, in other places, the nations would make statues of their gods and carry them on top of these boxes. But because God did not want to be made in the picture of anything, there was no... There was no image of God on top of it. There was nothing to be seen between there, though the cloud of glory did come to rest upon it. But that was more hiding his presence than showing it. And so what the ark did for them is to remind them and show them that God was with them. It was a a visible demonstration of the presence of God to remind them That in the midst of all these problems and peoples and new things and difficulties and challenges that they hadn't thought of, there was the Ark of the Covenant. There was the presence of God. And so he taught them that they were to have all their eyes on the presence of God. Not necessarily even physically, though they would see the Ark, but to carry in their hearts not only the people and the problems, but the God who was above them. So he said, so this passage teaches us to have all our eyes on the ark, all our eyes on the presence of God as we enter into new territory. Now, I want to show you how this passage emphasizes that point, because it's like it's a long passage. And it could have just said, well, the Jordan River dried up and they walked across and that could have been the end. 
kind of like the summary we had in Psalm 66. But it's like it slows it down, and it mentions the Ark of the Covenant repeatedly over and over again. Here's some examples. They said in verse 3, when you see the Ark, that's when you know you need to go. In verse 4, it says, don't go near the Ark because God's presence is powerful and He is holy. Joshua says to the priests in verse 6 of chapter 3, take up the Ark and pass ahead. In verses 10 through 11, how would they know they were to go forward? When they saw the ark moving forward. And in verses 15 and 16, as soon as the ark hits the water's edge, then the Jordan would start to dry up. In verse 7, when he's talking about what to say to their children, he says, tell them that the flow of water stopped when the ark entered the water. In verse 10, the priests remained standing in the middle, holding the ark of the covenant. In verse 16, it says, Command the priest to come up out of the water with the Ark of the Covenant. And then it says in verse 18, that they came up with the Ark and the waters went back. In other words, it's saying to everybody, all eyes, all eyes on the Ark, all eyes on the presence of God. Don't just look at the problems and the difficulties and the challenges of the nations before you. Don't just look at their iron chariots or their or their powerful walls, or their, or their mighty kings, or the giants in the land. Look at the Ark of the Covenant. All eyes on the Ark, all eyes on the presence of God. And that's what God calls us to do. It's so easy when we meet a difficult problem to only see the, the people that are involved in the problem, to only see the difficulty. We get tired and we can only just, it keeps running around in our head. And what this passage calls us to do is to step back and not just see the problem, but to see the God who is above it and who is with us in the presence of God. Now, we don't have an Ark of the Covenant today. No one knows where it is or if it even exists. But the Lord has given us some visible symbols, and we're going to see one of those today. And the one is baptism with water, and the other is the Lord's Supper um, the, where we, we break bread and share wine as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. And those are reminders when we come into these difficult situations that God is with us. We're not going alone. We don't just have our own resources. God has put the symbols of his presence in his church so that as we enter into whatever place we go, we know that he is with us. And so in there we can say, keep your eyes on the the symbols God has given us, and let them drive your heart to remember the presence of the Lord in his church. Now, I want to talk here about baptism. Um, Not about the baptism you're going to see, though there'll be some reference to it. But I want you to think of the crossing of the Jordan River as a sort of baptism. Baptism is a confirmation. It is a confirmation of something that God has already uh, taught us or shown. And it is a confirmation kind of like a wedding ring is a confirmation. It confirms your commitment to your spouse. And if you don't have a spouse, for example, and you still have a wedding ring, it's it's not going to confirm anything to you. You've got to have the thing, the, the marriage, and then this is a reminder, and it's a powerful one. What you do with the ring tells something about what you do with the marriage because it's a sort of confirmation of the marriage. And so the crossing of the Jordan 
was a sort of baptism. It was a confirmation of Israel into several things. So how is the crossing of the Jordan a sort of baptism of Israel? It was a confirmation, first, that what God did at the Red Sea, when the army of Egypt was pursuing them and they were trapped in front of the Red Sea, he opened it up, Israel crossed, the waters came back and destroyed the army. It was a confirmation that what God had continued to do there, he would continue to, had begun to do there, he would continue to do in the future. The Red Sea was also, the crossing of the Red Sea was also a confirmation of Moses' leadership. In Exodus 14, um, verse 31, after the account of the Red Sea, we read, When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. In other words, that act sort of baptized them into Moses. They saw that he was really the leader and it confirmed them in the Lord as well. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that all of the Israelites were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. And he draws a parallel between that experience and what we have today in our baptism, as you can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Red Sea sort of, or the crossing of the Jordan sort of did the same thing for Joshua. In verse 7, uh, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they, that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. And in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. And so it was a confirmation that Joshua was the leader. It was sort of like they, he had him as a leader, and then God showed, this is the guy you're supposed to follow. So it was a sort of baptism into um, Joshua. But the crossing of the Jordan was also a baptism in that it was a confirmation of God's powerful presence with them that they might fear the Lord forever. Look at verse 24 of chapter 4. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. We should fear the Lord God, but this passage, this crossing of the Jordan was a confirmation that God was to be feared and believed. And just as a side note here, we'll just say that's sort of what baptism is meant to be for us, our own baptism. Baptism is a confirmation that what God did in the past, he will continue to do in the future. What he did through Christ in the past, he now confirms he's doing for us now, and he'll be with us forever. Baptism is a confirmation of Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. And so like it was a baptism into Moses and Joshua, so... Our baptism confirms Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, our leader. And then baptism is a confirmation of God's powerful presence with us. That he wants us to show that just as he was over the waters of baptism when Jesus was baptized, when the presence of the Spirit and the voice of the Father and the, and the person of the Son, then so it is with us. That we should see not only the waters, but God in his presence with us that is powerful 
to deliver us and lead us. In regard to children, God has promised to be a God to us and to our seed, to, our, to the generations after us. And baptism of infants and young children is a confirmation of that promise. It is a confirmation with the expectation that God's going to work through our seed, through our children. And so we bring them in the expectation that that is how God will work. But this is not all. What I want to say to you is that, that what God shows here at the Jordan, he shows what he will do for us as we go into new territory, as we go into a new situation. We will see his work, and he will confirm to us that he is with us. Keep your eyes open for these sorts of things. Notice when God clears the way that you hadn't expected. I remember there was a time um, back when I was in Spearfish, South Dakota, pastor. I pastored there for 10 years. And there came a point in my ministry in which our congregation was convicted by the Lord that, that we had been too focused on ourselves and that it was time to reach out. And there was a significant repentance and the church began to change. Because we had not been following the Great Commission as the Lord commanded us. And I just remember that there was a young couple there that, I had all, that lived in our town and went to church 50 miles away. And I had always said, why don't they come to our church? Why wouldn't they come there? And we were friends and, I, and we spent time together and I just never understood. And so when this change occurred, I was going to invite them to come to our church and be part of what we were doing. But they, we got together, and I didn't say anything to them. Instead, the husband said, Wes, we've decided that we're going to come to your church. Without my prompting, without my asking, the Lord had just put it in their heart to come right at that moment when I needed that confirmation. And so that's something I've always carried with me is that the Lord brought the right people at the right time when he called us to do the work. And so it was a powerful confirmation to me. Keep your eyes open when things get difficult for how the Lord will confirm to you that he is still in your midst. But then when he shows that, you got to do what I just did, which is remember it. Remember it. The key thing for us to really know the presence of God with us, is to remember the ways he's been with us in the past. When we are in new territory and we have questions about what God will do, then we need to remember the way that he's led us in the past. We've entered new territory before. And that's precisely what God wanted them to do. So Joshua 4, verse 2. God told them, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, And tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So God wanted them to remember what had happened at the Jordan. He wanted them to talk about it, but he says, I want you to have a visible symbol of what God has done. So you're to take twelve stones, one from for each tribe, and you're to stack them up sort of like an altar. It wouldn't be one that they would use. It was more like a memorial to remind them of what God had done. So that is what they did. 
They took the 12 stones and set them up. And the purpose of that was to remind not only themselves, but also the future generations. In verse 6, God says, When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. One reason we need to remember the things God has done is not just because of ourselves, but because of the people around us and particularly for the generations. God is, I I know many of you quite well. I've heard the things that God has done in your lives. Do your children know? Do the people around you know? Have you told them about this? Maybe you need to set up some stones to help produce a conversation. And so that's the call here. Now, today I have one of my uh, memorials present here. Um, I asked uh, John and Nataniela Heilig are presenting their daughter Josie for baptism today. And um, I talked to them this week and I said, I'd like to share something about what happened in your lives, which also then intersected with my life. So what happened was um, uh, John and Nataniela have been married for a little while and um, they got pregnant and then they lost that child. And I didn't know that they were pregnant. I didn't know they had lost that child, but we had a lunch with them and they told us about it. And my heart was broken for them and I could tell that their heart was deeply grieved over the loss of this child. And so... As I, I, it, it made a profound impre- impression on me, and I knew that they wanted to have children. And so um, I began to, to pray for them. The Lord would give them a child in a way that I had not before. And then I got the news a few months later that Nataniela was pregnant again. And I know that sometimes when there's problems with the first um, pregnancy or miscarriage that often that can lead to several more. And so I just started pleading with the Lord <laughs> to give them this child and to preserve her life. And so every, every time I saw her, I just would be like, I felt even a slightly nervous, just like as those first few months, I just said, how are things going? And she's like, good. <laughs> it's like, good. Glad to hear that. If I didn't see her at church, Started to worry a little bit, but it was like one of my prayer requests day by day by day uh, that the Lord would bring that child. And so just the Lord impressed that upon me. And so obviously the birth of a child is, is always a wonderful thing. But uh, for, for me, Josie is not only a wonderful child who's part of this church, but also one of those memorials to seek the Lord in our time of need, when we fear, when we struggle to go to him. And so she is a little memorial <laughs> to me. And so I'm thankful for, for that testimony. And so let me just conclude by kind of summarizing then what we've said. So when you're passing into new things, into new territory where you have not gone before, remember not only to see the new things, 
but to see the presence of God. All eyes on the ark, all eyes on the presence of God. Look then for God to confirm his presence with you. Has he done it? Have you seen it? Then remember it. Set up a memorial that will remind you that God is with you so that you will know in the days ahead that the Lord will be with you as he's promised and shown he will be. Thus may it be. Amen.